Good morning and good evening, Lisa. How are you doing? Good morning, Mark. I'm really good, thanks. How are you doing? All right, thank you. Very well indeed. We are enjoying a, a great bit of sunshine. We've had a few weeks of uh, solid sunshine virtually with no rain here. So we're, we're very fortunate. Um, I know that you guys in the Oz are somewhat entering into your sort of midwinter. Is that right? It's winter, but, but I've spent today in a park doing some research for this podcast and it's been 21 degrees and really sunny. So it sucks. But um, so we are a bit jealous of your constant sunshine, but um, no complaints. 21 degrees is pretty good. It's about the same here. But as we know, I think the sort of temperature differences, well, even when it's the same temperature down there, it seems an awful lot cooler on the sort of Sydney coastline. It's, yeah, it's freezing. I've got a hoodie on and it's about seven degrees now. So it's all good. <laughs> Very nice. Well, listen, we are now um, week nine or week 10. I don't know which, which we are into lockdown. And uh, we're sort of starting to see sort of some signs that are really coming out of this sort of certainly in the coming weeks, um, not quite to the sort of stages of normality that we've known in the previous months. Um, so, at least what I think would be quite nice is to do a little bit of a comparison of where we're both at right now, certainly within the UK and Australia and the differences, because there, from the discussions that you and I've had, I've, so it, it does, there's sort of stark contrast in the way in which both countries are sort of approaching the uh, easing of the lockdowns. Definitely. And it was actually, it was quite interesting, isn't it? Because we spoke and had a plan for this podcast in the middle of the week and then spoke and went, wow, this lockdown, we're in completely different zones at the moment and different spaces of it. So maybe we need to focus on that instead of what we originally planned to talk about. Um, and it's, it's still relative because we're going to talk about consumer trends and the role of brands in and out of lockdown. Um, but just the actual ones that were emerging for us both were quite different. And the spaces that we're currently existing in as we all get excited about being unlocked um, are quite different, aren't they? And, and so that's why we've sort of shifted what we're actually going to talk about a little bit um, and how it's relevant. So, yes, we're, I mean, you're still quite in the depths of lockdown. And over here, we're starting to be unlocked, which is exciting for everyone. So all the, the days have started to have day names again rather than it being blurs day and not really knowing what the week it is. Um, but yeah, like we're in a, from our conversation the other day, we're in a very different space to you guys right now in that we're probably one of the top five countries that are winning the war against this pandemic. Um, so we have, like I said, I've been to the park today. We can go out with gatherings up to 50 people in New South Wales we're still social distancing. We have a COVID app, which I know touches in on a consumer trend we're going to talk about and data privacy. Um, so, yeah, we're, like, we're in a very different space to you guys in the UK. So um, tell us what's happening over there. Yeah, well, I, first thing, you've had, when we talk about social distancing, which the, the term has become almost sort of part of the sort of English language permanently placed into it. But we have um, what's, let's say, referring it to as a two metre at all times social distancing and you guys have one and a half metres, is that right? We do. There's um there's a difference there, isn't there? Do you do you think though my theory is that they've done that based on how long people's arms are. So they say that one point five <laughs> metres is however long your arms is. Perhaps in the UK you've got longer arms or you use a le you use a leg to measure it instead. <laughs> well I've been referred to been referred to as a knuckle dragger many times before, so it's quite possibly I might even have a four metre arm <laughs> wingspan. But um, no, I, I think the two metres uh, seems to be standard, certainly across the UK. Well, it is standard across the UK, but the um, certainly the uh, pubs and restaurants 
are looking to have that reduced to one meter, uh, hopefully for them, because having a two meter distancing at all times, if the pubs and restaurants look to reopen, for example, um, two meters is a huge distance in, in those sort of small spaces. And so they really wouldn't be able to function particularly well. So they're looking to have that reduced. But in terms of the differences, Lise, um, so as of Monday, as in today, um, people can socialize outside with up to six people who are not from your household. Um, but there's no limit now in, in the time that you can spend outside. There was previously a sort of an hour's limit for exercise, but then now that's been sort of dropped right back to pretty much any amount of any time can be spent outside in parks and private gardens. Um, but the government are also suggesting that people can work uh, from home and should continue to do so if they can. Um, um, we, well, I've been talking about it now actually, the, the track and trace uh, smartphone app that you guys have. It was something that was mentioned here in the UK some time ago, this something they were gonna launch and they were, I believe they'd been testing it in one of the Channel Islands. Um, but we haven't really heard any developments of it uh, in the last few weeks. But there is now something called um, contact tracing via telephone. So you've got the government sort of contract tracers or pe people employed by the government who effectively, once they've found out who has got COVID or had COVID in some respects, um, they then had to track who they've been in contact with, uh, at least had conversations with them and within 15 minutes, 15 minute conversations or more, um, as in close proximity. Those people who have been in the, that close proximity then receive a telephone call to say um, that we believe that you've been in contact with somebody who has been who's potentially got COVID or has COVID. You now have to uh, self quarantine or self isolate, whatever the right term is, for 14 days. Um, so that's quite a scary thing. It's almost like you've got to snitch on people, sort of to tell people, yes, I've been in contact with this person, and then they get the phone call. So it's quite scary. It also sounds like a really long-winded process. So a lot of what we we're talking about previously, and as designers, we try and remove pain points in people's lives. Like that sounds like a heck of a pain point, and like a almost like a trail of this leads to this, leads to this, leads to you getting a phone call to say you have to do this. This is a heck of a trickle. Um, that people have got to and then like you say at the end of it there's that fear there's very few stages at the moment unless you're going into a, a working environment where you do actually um, stand and talk closely with someone for 15 minutes or in close in, in close proximity to someone for 15 minutes because most people are shopping and they're going past people within, within seconds so it's, it shouldn't happen massively unless you are on the front line in contact with specific um, people um, it, you may well be receiving that phone call but it does all sound a little bit odd but very quickly then it's just going through some other things that are happening right now you've got pubs and restaurants hairdressers hotels cinemas and other places places of worship and possibly gyms i think um they're going to be open on the 4th of july primary schools are looking to head back tomorrow so that's uh sorry today in fact that's sort of the first of june um, with the eldest and youngest starting um, for the first few weeks and possibly um, the rest of the classes getting a couple of months in before the end of summer. Um, and here's the biggie, uh, it's certainly going to affect a lot of people in the work environments, is anyone coming into the UK, and I don't know if you've heard about this in Australia, they had to quarantine themselves for two weeks upon arrival, which is going to have a massive impact. I mean, the people, corporations are complaining about this and saying this is ridiculous. Business travel virtually can't happen.
It's true what you say, it will impact business travel. And obviously travel is one of the biggest industries that is going to be hit by this whole thing and one that we're going to see new innovations and lots of changes in um, when we talk about our optimistic futures trend and stuff. But it's also been so long that England took to react to this whole travel thing. Um, so Australia closed its borders quite early. And because of that, we've now been able to reopen the ones that go between states. So I actually think... The reason that the UK is now able to complain about it is because they didn't do it for so long. Like one of the biggest rise in statistically, one of the biggest rises of cases comes from overseas um, and people it's people moving. Right. So you have to stop people moving. And the fact that they didn't. I mean, back in the end of March, they said that anyone who came into Australia had to quarantine for two weeks. And I get that it's different. Like Not as much travel happens. And if it does, it's within state here. And in Europe and things like that, you've got business meetings. But we've already been forced as a world to organize business meetings without traveling to those meetings. So the whole uproar that's around now, like I sort of think it's a little bit, it's a bit of a boy crying wolf in that, oh, we can't have meetings. Well, we've just spent three months learning to have meetings without going to meetings. So the fact that you now can't travel to your meetings, well, you've got no, you know, we're all trying to save money anyway. So I think just for the short term that it is until we eradicate this virus or, you know, find vaccines, and that's another conversation as well, then I think it's just something to complain about. And, and I, you know, my, in fact, you know, my mum is trying to get back to the UK and when she gets there, she's going to have to self-quarantine. And it's not ideal. It's really not a good situation, but it's what people have to do. And we've spent three months learning what we have to do to eradicate it. That Australia, to be fair, like a lot of people have done what, they've, what we've been told. But I think that comes down to the fact that we've reacted to what the government has suggested and it's worked. So there's been a lot more trust in the governments. There's less, as you may see, you know, there's less riots or less uproar. People do what they're told. It works, so they keep doing it. And also because it's because it's working, I think in the UK so many things haven't worked that it starts to make people not trust what they're being told to do, so they don't do it. Yeah, well, there's a lot of that going on at the moment, actually. A lot of people are actually now getting fed up I think the best part um and people really are wanting to get out and sort of stretch their arms a little bit stretch their legs um uh, so people are going to go against um government guidelines I think just simply because they're they're frustrated um on on every level yeah and you but although, although from what you've just said it's actually come on since we spoke a few days ago in that now you've potentially got a date for opening up your cinemas and the gyms so we've done as I think you're probably following us in that we had six people group gatherings and then it was 10 people and it was actually amazing to go out at the weekend and go out for dinner and not have to take it away I suppose oh you actually you actually went into a restaurant yes um, and it was booked and, and everyone was safely distanced and they didn't have more than 10 people in the restaurant. The thing afterwards, we did try and get a drink somewhere. And all, obviously the pubs aren't open here yet. So they opened this week because they're allowed to have 50 people in. So it became a point of until we can have 50 people in, we, they just can't really make money. Whereas restaurants, small restaurants could open and still make money. So everyone's very excited about the bars are open. And actually from today, most bars and pubs are open because they're allowed up to 50 people in there. What are, are some of these bars opening? Are some because there's I know here in the UK those bars that have the capacity to have uh, or have beer gardens or large spaces out the front. For example, there's a couple in um, and on Ham on Ham Common on the edge of sort of just outside of Richmond. People can have sort of takeouts. They can grab a beer in a plastic cup, 
buy it from the pub and then go and sit out on the sort of on the greens so and they're obviously all social distancing yeah similar things happen to that here so yeah you can go and take a picnic or whatever i was out the other day and there's quite a lot of people out picnicking and getting together but as long as you just keep the safe you know the two meters for you and 1.5 meters for us distance then yeah that's all legal and all fine so it definitely feels like it's opening up a lot more which is exciting um, but there's also, you know, it, it starts to think, and we're going to talk more about brand, it starts to think about the trust element of it. And and I say brand, and I even mean down to government. So there was the other day people trusting the transport system here. I class that as a brand. So whether or not people are, are scared to use public transport again, and that also comes down to how you're seeing the people that work for the public transport police it. So getting on public transport and the ferries and buses the other day, there was someone as you got on the north the ferry right, we can have so many people getting on. You have to sit in these designated sticker spaces, and you start to. For us, that was it was reassuring. So it was eradicating that fear. To some people, it would be oh I can sit where I want, but if you want to make it work we've got to follow the rules yeah completely i mean we've got similar um i guess initiatives happening here and public transport for example all across the country is having to adapt and they're trying to have to reduce the number of passengers they've got so they're so they are stressing that only people who are key workers or people who who have no other choice but to use public transport can do so um hopefully in in some respect reducing the number of the, the amount of traffic or people using it um, and that's it. I'm hoping that people will start to use bikes a lot more and cycle to work to where they can, obviously. Um, it's funny you're talking about brands and how brands are communicating right now. And we've, we've spoken about this a few times where it's changing almost daily in terms of how brands and what brands are doing in order to communicate. And I, th I think just touching back on what we've probably spoken about before, I think you, as a, it was an article that you sent across to me in Marketing Week. I think Mark Ritson, his name was, was quoted as saying about the current brand modalities and what brands are doing right now. And he suggested there's three phases or three modes, sorry. The first of which was a freeze mode uh, where brands are, are doing nothing during lockdown. They can't, they can't do anything, not talking, not able to sort of communicate or not knowing what, how to communicate. And you've got some which have gone into what he calls flex mode where the brands are actually performing really, really well and they're able to communicate and adapt quickly to whatever's happening. So be it they're producing hand sanitizers or sort of a, essentially adapting their sort of capacity and what they're able to do. And then you've got those that have gone to fixed mode where they're trying to find new ways in which they can generate revenue. And a lot, a lot of those brands will flick between those modes, I think, as well during this because it's changing so quickly. So they might initially go into the whole fix mode. I produce gin. I can also produce sanitizer. And so they're solving and fixing a problem. But at that point, they're going to freeze mode when they need to go. All right. As the world is starting to come out of lockdown, who are we? What are we known for anymore? I mean, just to put a really everyday example on it, if you produce gin, you start producing hand sanitizer and then the world starts getting back to normal. It still needs both of those things. So so you need to you need to go back to your who what and why why what do we actually stand for and and there will be other like there's a lot of in the world of um well-being and skincare i've definitely been seeing a lot from covid innovations in terms of a lot of skincare brands are now starting to adapt their formulations to create things that have got um sanitizing type barriers so a, a, an everyday cleanser might introduce a sanitizing feature there's going to be or even in the whole you might have looked at some of the consumer trends coming up in the whole world of well-being how within the next 10 years we'll have a patch that we stick on that delivers all of our immunity drugs directly into our skin so th which is which is exciting and fascinating and i mean if you tell someone 
of a certain age, they'll go, a what? Um, but for us, it's like, how is that going to happen? And all of this whole, it's a really exciting time, but it's incredible where it might lead. Yeah, absolutely. And again, as we just said, because things are changing so quickly. And we, I think, I'm not sure whether we, we recorded it as part of a conversation today or not, but um, innovations in terms of what um, health scientists or scientists who uh, specifically work in these sort of areas are suggesting we do. And for example, vitamin D is sort of certainly becoming more relevant and more important into people's daily lives and how people consume their vitamin D. And it's something now which is becoming really important. And so there are new brands stepping up all the time with vitamin D content, or at least it's becoming part of their sort of their communication. Um, and even I know a lot of athletes have done it in the past where they have um, IV uh, vitamin drips. So, um, for example, you're sitting, you have a sort of vitamin C, for example, pouch intravenously put into your sort of blood system. Um, and I think it's something that's is happening in the last few years, sort of in their sort of underground market of sort of um, fitness and health. It's becoming more the norm now. People are actually going to sort of health specialists and asking for this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's going to be different ways in which we can sort of improve our own immunity systems, immune systems, sorry, and in- increase our immunity. And I think that's the thing about, I mean, we, we've spoken before about trends and then being about to unlock opportunity. And, th- and there's so many that are becoming unlocked now. I read a really good quote the other day that was talking about brands and the role of brand in a post-COVID world. And it did tap into some consumer trends as well. Um, but there was a really interesting report done by Havas Australia, um, where they pointed to the now is being a pivotal moment for brands, especially as we're coming out of lockdown. People are looking for the ones that act with integrity and the ones that they can buy into and trust. And they've shifted their behaviors and attitudes to kind of fit this new world that we're going into. Um, and that was it was actually a really nice report about Havas, and they did it in conjunction with Kantar, I think. Um, and it said that Australia remembers brands that are a positive contribution during this highly stressful time. Are really important, and I think this, this is this leads us quite nicely into our sort of sort of topic of the day, if you like, about sort of age of optimism. Uh, brands are now having to. In fact, it wasn't brands specifically. The World Health Organization, I think, it's almost a guidelines of for populations of how people can cope with COVID-19 and one of their the ways in which they recommend that individuals can cope with COVID-19 is find opportunities to amplify positive and hopeful stories. So essentially go ahead and look for positivity out there and this will help you um, cope with the whole COVID-19 pandemic. I thought that's fascinating and that's a recommendation from WHO. Yeah, which again is a brand, but again, it's a trusted one, isn't it? Throughout all of this chaos, they've almost become the neutral people that we trust because they work with all of our governments. There was a really interesting article, actually, that The Guardian has, they've released a piece of good news, almost like a news report every day that's all the good news that's going on in the world. And they've said the statistics show the increase in people who've been reading that is bigger than it ever could have been like it's almost excelling over any other news stories because people just want that good news in the day and I, I think brands will be following suit soon won't they and they're sort of what they look to do they want to obviously there's support for um the key health workers and what have you and i think almost as if consumers now have gotten so used to that 
um, channel of communication that it's almost accepted that that's what every brand is doing anyway. So we've got to look beyond that now. What else are you do? And also moving it forward to why it's relevant to our industry is we also had a really good conversation the other day about we've obviously worked through lots of different agencies and for different um, small and bigger agencies and how they're reacting is really interesting. Um, there's actually a really good campaign based around this age of optimism that's come out of Design Bridge. Um, and Helen Hughes, who is one of the um, strategy directors there, and they've released this campaign about the vision of better. And every single one in person in their studio has put together a poster, and it's about things um, better than they have been before, keep your distance campaign. And it's a really nice version of kind of putting something creative to put out the message that we we all need to keep our distance. And to most people, we're like, oh, it's a scary thought, it's a fear, and it's a, you're, you're being told what to do effectively. But the fact that they've communicated it in a fun, graphic, illustrated way, it's a much better use of time than a lot of the agencies that we've seen on, and we've sort of seen it on LinkedIn, that are just sharing stories that they've seen or sharing work that they've done before to almost say, hi, we're here. Have you seen this? In an age, there's a lot of agencies that have gone out and gone, is your brand going to cope in this new world? It's scaring the people that we want to work for, really, because we want to help people and build the optimism. And you're going, are you ready? This is a terrible point in the world. If you're not ready, then you will die as a brand. It's like, well, now's actually a really good opportunity in the world. And if you work out who you are, why you're here and what your purpose is going forward, you can probably be more powerful than ever before. Well, I think from the agency's perspective, <clears throat> each are trying to create their own narrative. No one knows what's going to happen. No one knows what the right um, message needs to be. And I think they've, you can't, I, I understand it. I understand the fact they've got really nothing to uh, promote at the moment because there's been very little work. And so they will step into their sort of portfolio pieces and drag out sort of old work, perhaps award-winning work that they've achieved in the past, just to say, look, well, we're still here. But I think from a client's perspective, who are looking out there to sort of reach out to the agencies instead of right to see who perhaps they want to be using in the future. And I think it's it's more the fact that it's quite interesting how divided it's been. It's actually quite interesting to see which ways different people have gone. And then there are also the ones that are uniting together, even from a brand point of view. The ones that are actually joining together are doing a really good job, even from a point of, and we're going to talk more about security down the track, that Google and Apple are able to work together, that we just talked before about Nike and Adidas. And I understand that these are big brands, so they've probably got the budgets to go, let's just team up. Whereas probably smaller brands, smaller people are a bit more wary of doing it or they don't want to they don't want to join with their competitor but actually maybe even we should see some of the smaller brands joining with their competitors to to figure this problem out i love the idea that again it is a sort of team player and someone who loves again team sports i love the idea of just working with those people which you perhaps compete with in a normal sort of day-to-day -day basis but at least with google and apple remind remind us of what google and apple were doing together yeah, well, we were talking more about the um, allowing data to be shared for a security point of view. And we were talking about the app. So Google and Apple have joined forces to endorse and create the apps that are going to be our new safety mechanisms, I suppose. Um, and also, you're more likely to sign up. I don't want to judge onto an assumption here, but you're more likely to sign up for a COVID app 
And I know when we talked the other day, you haven't got one there. We have got one here. You were amazed to hear that I've signed up for it because normally I'd be like, I don't want anyone tracking my data. But actually the facts are we're all on Facebook or we're all on social media. We probably give away an awful lot more. Um, I was more worried about the fact that it would use more of your Bluetooth power and things like that. But and so you're more likely to trust it. If, if it said COVID safe by Apple, you'd be like, right, I'll buy that. That's Apple. I'll sign up for it. Done. And so they're almost using their names and working with the governments to, to build that kind of unity and that connection. And I think that's what it's, it's very much about not bagging, not going, oh, well, they're better at it than we are. It's about let's work together. So those that don't know, Lise, here in the UK, um, we'll touch on this very briefly now, actually, um, in terms of data privacy, because I know we've spoken about it in the past where data is used as almost sort of the new, a, a new currency and it um, has such a sense of worth. And I think consumers don't necessarily understand and realise that when they're giving away free data, i.e. their consumer habits for free, what, how much that is actually worth to these organisations. Uh, and I think that was what we were talking about. So my fear specifically of somewhere which um, this data is collected and tracking your um, location, your whereabouts, who you've been in contact with, that is only the start of potentially more data gathering about your, your personal life. And I think there's always a limit. I have a, I set myself as limits, so for example, on social media, and I'm sure a lot of people feel, feel the same. Um, and then, for something like this where you'll get the government is potentially going to be suggesting that it's a it's a three-line whip that everyone has to be doing this everyone has to number one if they own a smartphone they have to use this app but what i found really interesting the other day Lise, is you were talking about how you had downloaded it the other day and it, you were asked in a i'll let you tell the story actually because it was about the coffee shop story yeah it's become more common actually so you download the app and now there's actually a lot of coffee shops and restaurants are working with the government that they will not let you in unless someone on your table has the app. There's actually, I was then, we were asked, we went as a group and we were asked if any of us had the app. If we did not have the app and then give that coffee shop our names to sh or show them that we had the app and it was active, they would not let us dine there. So it almost creates this inclusivity and exclusivity as to whether or not you're allowed in places as to whether you sign up for the app. Now, beyond that, I was doing some podcast listening the other day and I actually have some really, um, I've I've got a few friends who are data analysts and I, I know this is a trend we talked about, uh, the value of data. I never realized probably, naive Lisa, quite how much data is worth and the smallest amounts of data. And I think that's just because me personally, I will go through reams of data and you can show me thousands of bar charts and I will look at it and go, what's the point? I need someone to summarize it and bring it together, which is what data analysts do, obviously. But the value of that data, how they use it and sell it on to other companies and then how they piece it together to sell you things, to sell you products, to understand more about yourself than you know about yourself is scary. But one of the podcasts, it was actually, I think it was a Mintel podcast and it was talking about the contact tracing apps that they're developing for the UK. And they're talking about the one that you're going to get in the UK. If you don't sign up to it, you won't be allowed to go to events like football or you won't be able to go to gatherings unless you have the app and it's active It and it becomes a different level of inclusivity. They're forcing you to have it in the same way you'd have to have a passport to change country. Uh, isn't it, do you not find that scary to me? That sort of gives me the heebie-jeebies. It feels optional at the it feels optional at the moment, 
But once you reach that, you're not allowed in here unless you have it, it sort of switches the balance a little bit to go, wait a minute, you're forcing me into decision. It's not optional anymore. Yeah. And it's how far that goes and what that then limits you to do. Because if it does become, let's say, this club of exclusivity, and there will be people who will feel sort of alienated from it, let's assuming it is uh, an app, unless it becomes a sort of another, a separate piece of hardware that people carry and wear around with them, a bit like um, a heart monitor, which then has your GPS location attached to it as well, which I guess some smartwatches do. But if this is a separate bit of hardware, then we start to work into the realms of, I guess quite scary then I start stepping into the um, these um, sci-fi worlds of AI and where we're controlled by drones outside telling us where we can and where we can't go um, so when you when you were telling me the other day about the fact that a restaurant or a cafe wasn't allowing you in or to be served because you didn't have the app and I, I, that to me is the start of something and I don't quite know where it could potentially go but I do find I'm wary of it and I think that's that's where it splits people you see from the minute they said to me you have to have this to come in I it I, the rebel in me goes screw you I don't want to go in but I think the, on the whole most people would go okay I'll get I'll get it but I think it does cause that a bit of a divide where there's a rebellion nation and going no like I'd rather go somewhere that doesn't make me have it I, I understand the bigger picture I understand the fact that to, for corporations and brands it it makes things a lot easier if you can start to sort of capture this data and use it in whichever, in whichever way you can but in order to benefit you as a brand to understand what your consumers are doing where they're consuming your product what they're how they're interacting with your product and brand and how their um, experiences can be improved that information becomes vital and you can see that but I think from a it's such a big change from where we've come from in the past where we haven't had that sort of stuff at least overtly tracked um, companies like Amazon for example have been doing it for coming up to 20 years now where they've understood and now can see what your consumer habits are um, but now this is becoming almost sort of of the norm and it's becoming popularized by this sort of tracking. I I know we're at the moment it's only going to be tracking location, who you've been into contact with. But by tracking your location, it's understanding where you'll be going and what you're up to and who you're interacting with and what brand specifically you're going to be sort of coming into contact with on your journey. Yeah, the interesting, interesting that you mentioned Amazon. So I had this conversation actually with someone today and they said, oh, yeah, but Amazon, they track and trace people and they've been doing it a long time and then they can. But how many of us actually trust and buy things from Amazon? So although they've been doing trust them and I, yeah, Amazon would be one of the first places I look if I was searching for a new speaker or whatever. And so they've done it in such a way that you still buy into Amazon. So they've, it's, it's worked for them. It's made them one of the most successful companies. So there's there's merit in it if it's used the right way because you can monitor behaviors and habits and then tailor it to those habits. The conversation I actually had with someone is they said, oh, Amazon came to my friend who used to sell unique leather garments. They figured out where he got them from and they almost created uh, the same sort of business but through Amazon so you could buy it through Amazon. And where I think brands... They'd have almost, if they'd have collaborated and said, we will showcase your shop within here for a profit. So you'll sell it through Amazon, but you are still the shop owner. Then I think there's, there's an opportunity there. 
that shows Amazon are more than just about making money. Well, that's how Amazon started out. If you recall from our previous podcast, we were talking about that and how companies like Toys R Us were approached by Amazon. And so Amazon said, look, um, of course, so come and sell your products on our store um, and everything will be great. We'll give you a share of the profits, obviously, and we'll make it go from there. But what they didn't realize is that Amazon at the same time were also recording where their customers are coming from, who the consumers were for the likes of the Toys R Us products, and ultimately then started to recreate their own stores within Amazon, which offered the same type of service that Toys R Us were, but at a cheaper price. And of course, consumers will be price-led for the most part, will go towards those products. So effectively, the likes of Toys R Us were sort of shifted out the market from the fact that they were initially providing information, their information, but handing it over for free. And I think that's where, it's, although the concept is great, and as a consumer, you think, great, we're getting a, a cheaper product here. Ultimately, it's pushing bigger brands out of the way for the bigger, bigger brands, such as Amazon, to sort of move into the market. So, yeah, you've, you've got to be really wary of this data capturing. I've, I'm incredibly cautious. <laughs> Rightly or wrongly, it does, it does scare me. Well, definitely, they were, the, they were a couple of the ones that we mentioned, weren't they, early this year, in January, before all of this chaos optimism and data um, is the new currency or whatever are definitely two that are involved and that we're seeing shift and evolve throughout this whole pandemic crisis and so it was actually it was good to revisit those and, and and for us to almost go back and do a bit more research into where they've moved since we last spoke definitely and i think we've said already that they it's almost daily that the as the government's guidelines change and as the government guidelines change within each country how brands navigate through this is particularly difficult and certainly global brands because when you're trying to keep a message that's consistent and key global network it becomes more difficult when guidelines are changing left right and center so you can almost see why certain brands have gone into that sort of again that freeze mode of not knowing quite know what to do because government guidelines are changing so quickly people it's those brands that are adapting i think where consumers are starting to sort of can see them and see that uh, these these might be the brands that they stick with after the pandemic sort of eases. What I think is quite interesting as well, and I know that we haven't touched on it just yet, is for consumers, they're spending more time than ever right now online, and consumers want a more uh, are looking for an improved online experience, I guess, to a certain extent, because they're starting to understand we need this is going to become a greater part of our lives now, and that can be including the uses of that types of Zoom. Um, Zoom type meetings, for example, sorry. Uh, and also with the way in which they shop. I guess going back to what we we're talking about, consumers are looking for that reassurance and the guidance and sort of, and just without being too cliche about it, these brands that have been such big brands in the past need to be humanized to a certain extent. Definitely. And that, that's something that came up. And when I've, I've just um, noted down a summary of all of this when I was um, looking and stuff and trying to gather some thoughts today. So obviously, I mean, we've talked all throughout this episode about brands and about how for the last few weeks, because it's been changing all the time, there's been quite a lot of marketing. And so the difference being that marketing promotes the brand or pushes out. Um, messages constantly through different channels whereas actually the brand which is who you are what you do and why you do it and what other people say about you is the critical point so consumers I've, I've written as part of my summary that consumers look to brands to shape and help our futures and throughout all of this in fact that's one thing that the design bridge campaign did teach me is that brands now have an opportunity to engage about sustainability and to encourage us how we move forward so we're looking for brands to to tell us how to move forward and 
they need to be ones that we feel we connect with. Um, and the loyalty to brands is a really good podcast that I recommend anyone who's a designer or even a nerd like us. Um, Future Thinking Stylus is a really good podcast and I can send you the link. Um, they did it in a few months before all this happened. They talked about brands as change leaders, but they've also just done a podcast that talks about the rise of anti-social media. So you were just talking about the amount of time we're spending online. There's a really good um episode that they've just done with a lady called Sarah Wilson, who's the um, head of SW Projects. And she talks about um, brands tapping into niche markets. And she talks about all of these things about how we've set up digital campfires. So yes, we've used Zoom and a lot of people were anti-technology. So we've got Zoom happy hour. We've created what were real world experiences and the ones that have been most successful are the ones that have been able to adapt and change. And it's not about putting everything online, but it's about slowly encouraging people that it isn't all big and scary out there. And they're brands that are starting to react. If we go back to, again, in, in a previous podcast, we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how at the very start of the pandemic, everyone was discovering who we are, what, what on earth are we here for? And the self-actualization phase at the top is where everyone was going, oh, like I need to be creative or I need to find an outlet for me. But where brands have got an opportunity right now is to go back to making us feel safe and secure in our surroundings. And so they've gone to the bottom of that triangle and gone, all right, as a brand, how can we support the base of this triangle so that people can reach the top and they can kind of all of this stuff that they've learned who they are during this time, how can we make them feel safe and secure and loved and buy, effectively, you're going to buy into a brand that you feel is part of you, that supports you on a human level. And so, yeah, like I think for, for me, the summary was there's a real opportunity now, even as us as designers, because we help all of these brands and businesses and, and even people and even each other. There was a really great um, show piece the other day that Dixon Baxi, who are a really fabulous agency that I look up to, they put a big piece on LinkedIn about why is everyone bagging each other right now? We should support our community and we need to raise it because creative ideas and how we move forward is where we need to look, not back, not about this person does it better than me. And I know in, in a bit of this podcast, we've sort of said about people who are doing it well and not well. But really, we should all, all be supporting each other to go, how do we move forward? How do we make it better? And how do we, more, you know, support each other and, and humanity? Mm. What I think is really interesting is off the back of that is talking, uh, perhaps we just will touch on it very quickly is, and again, there's another article you sent across that I thought was thoroughly interesting, um, the brand gym. And I think David Taylor was the author of that one. Um, the post-COVID recession, which essentially is going to come and hit to a market near us at uh, some point soon. Uh, and I think we need to realize that this is, it's going to happen. And whilst in the sort of, in the last few months, people have been adapting or changing their sort of buying habits, I guess, online to certain extents, so substituting um, fast food restaurants with takeout deliveries, for example, that may change back a little bit, but certain things of a way in which we go about things have changed. Um, but brands just need to be, aware that with the recession coming soon we might need to adapt the way in which we sort of this whilst being optimistic understanding that we're going to go go through a, a phase of austerity um it's going to be tricky and we've got to, we'll come out of it soon but uh, just understand that that's also something we're going to have to tackle um come post pandemic 
And that also comes down, we spoke a little bit before about thinking about what your message is and how that was relative to who you are. So we talked even about cinemas and the fact that no one's been able to go to the cinema and see movies for a long time. And the movies that we're actually going to release, people will perhaps not want to go and see those type of movies. So we're actually going to think about the narrative and the story that we're putting out. So still make it relevant and still make it critical to you. But yeah, like you say, you've got to think about the can you compromise something short-term that looks to it long-term? So rather than we've been reactive for a long time and we've done a quick, we need to fix this, we need to, that's your fixed state. But now we need to think about long-term. And actually one really good story that came out this week was Netflix. And again, I, I understand they're quite a big brand, so they're able to do this, is that there's quite a, quite a lot of people at the moment who are subscribed to, to things and don't use those things. And so you've got so much going out of your bank each month and you go, oh, I should cancel Spotify because I never use it, but I won't. And so Netflix have contacted everyone who's had an inactive subscription to say, do you still want it? Because if not, we're going to stop taking money from you thinking longer term. So they're going to lose a lot of money in the short term, but longer term, people trust them again. And so you're more likely when you have got the money and when the economy starts building, which it will eventually, you know, give it like 20 years or whatever. But when it starts building, people are going to go, who helped us during that time? Oh, I trust them again. And so it's now is a, is a really critical but exciting time to think about the narrative. Lise, we've touched on quite a few subjects there. Uh, again, I think we can, deep, we can delve into these even further if, uh, if we really wanted to. Um, anything else you want to add, Lise, in our little roundup? No, I, th I think it was really good because it's, it's forced us both to kind of do a little bit of research and kind of summarise some of the things we've been seeing about how brands are attacking the world in this. We're, both, we're all coming out of lockdown, so the sheer excitement of that and then how all of the world around us is reacting from a creative, from a brand point of view. All of those people that have finally learnt to work in their bedrooms and start painting in their lounges, like it's where, where it's going now is it's changing shape again, isn't it? So, you know, I, it feels like forever that we did the whole consumer trends and the first week of this pandemic when it all seemed so lighthearted and like it wasn't going to be so long that three months down the line, the whole world that we exist in and the, the brands that we're trying to help, their whole story and world has changed. Um, so it's been nice just to kind of revisit where it was and where it's going. Do you know, it's strange enough, I, I am looking forward to getting back into a, a sort of some form of work environment and sort of sitting down in that sort of around the creative round table and discussing projects openly, sort of face to face. And I, that's something which I hopefully we won't lose. I know we talk about the sort of the studio environments and the office environments in general are going to change and we're going to have to adapt to what is a, the this new normal of social distancing and sort of staggered starts and what have you. But I can't wait to get back into that agency environment and just sort of feed off the creativity within amongst our sort of fellow colleagues. That's probably the next podcast, because by the point we do the next one, people will actually be starting to go back into the offices. But that whole revolving revolving office and the shaping of the workspace, um, it's, I've been going into the shared workspace that I use. And it's actually it's amazing to see that the cafe in there's opened up again and people are starting to come back in. Um, but it's changing, you know, the staggered hours. And it's a great I think that's one for the future. We should talk about the, the evolving office space and how we can. But it's how we get back to being touchless but that even even the whole perception of touch like you know someone passed me some change in a shop today and they're like they don't touch your hand they just drop it and so even that whole 
We, we can talk some more about consumer trends in the future, about cashless communities. There's some really good podcasts out there at the moment unveiling trends around the cashless future. And the, even learning from China and how they're making transactions touchless, even in retail stores, about even how you try things on without actually asking an assistant to open a change room. Like there's some really interesting things coming up through that. So as we start to unlock and open the world, it'd be really interesting to talk a bit more about how that's going to shape and move towards the future. Oh, I look forward to that, Liz. We'll get that in the in the plan. Again, that's quite a scary thought, actually, even just the retail space going into, do you try clothes on? And what happens to the clothes once you've taken them, tried them on and didn't quite fit? Do they get placed straight back into the rack again? That's crikey. That's something I hadn't even sort of thought about, but yeah. Have a listen to, there's a podcast by Mintel, obviously the Consumer Trend Corporation, but they have a Mintel's Little Conversation and they have just done a podcast that's about what we can learn from China because they've opened before us and how we're seeing the retail world and the opportunities in retail shift. Lise, this has been brilliant. And uh, again, more thought-provoking stuff. I absolutely love it. And again, more stuff to research. What I'll do, Lise, all the stuff you've mentioned, I'll drop into our show notes and I'll do the same as some of the sort of stuff I've spoken about too. Lise, lovely to speak and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Mark.